This is the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, featuring talks and conversations recorded live by the Public Programs Department of California Institute of Integral Studies, a nonprofit university located in San Francisco on unceded Ramaytush Ohlone land. This episode was recorded during a live online event on March 24th, 2021. It features author and policy expert Aaron McMorrow in conversation with renegade economist Della Z. Duncan. They discuss Dr. McMorrow's book, Grounded, in which she explores both the ecological and spiritual basis of our existing climate crises, as well as wisdom and tools to initiate a transformation to save our soils and our souls. A transcript of this episode is available at ciispod.com. To find out more about CIIS and public programs like this one, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs. Thank you, Erin, for joining us. So happy to be in conversation with you. And thank you to everyone who is with us tonight live. So again, yeah, welcome, Erin. Good to be with you. Thank you. Likewise, so good to see your face and to be here with everybody in the virtual circle. And tonight we are here to speak about and, and be with the theme of on healing our planet and ourselves. And we are also here to celebrate your book, uh, the, to- the title being Grounded. So perhaps we can begin with some grounding for all of us tonight. Uh, Would you mind leading us in something that may ground us for our time together? Mm, I would love to, it's my favorite thing to do. (laughs) All right, so take a moment wherever you are. If you're able to close your eyes, please do, of course, unless you're driving. Maybe put hands over your heart if that feels good or whatever feels aligned with your body in this moment. Maybe if you can sit or even lie down if that feels good, whatever feels true. Start to connect to the breath. Maybe for the first time today. Just take a moment to invite yourself into the space. So just allowing anything that was going on before this moment, maybe the entire week, maybe the entire year, let it be outside of this space and just invite yourself into your own body and inviting yourself into your own breath. Inviting yourself into the present moment. And feeling the earth fully supporting the body. As you breathe, maybe feeling imaginary roots drop down into rich, fertile, healthy soil, dropping all the way down as far as they need for you to feel deeply rooted and grounded in Mother Earth. And as you continue to breathe, scan your body for anything that may not serve and just allow it to fall away into the earth out through those roots, allowing it to turn into compost, allowing it to transform into something that serves. And staying connected to the breath whenever you're ready, just inviting any nourishment drawing up through those roots into your body that feels called for in this moment. And take three long, deep cleansing breaths wherever you are. Just calling in great mother energy, great father energy, team highest good. So anyone or anything who wants to be here for our highest good, our soul's greatest growth, the highest good of all involved, please be here with us. 
calling in the four directions, the elementals, the fae, anyone that wants to be here for our highest good. Please be here during this conversation, be here with us in this virtual circle, wherever we are. And calling in the well ancestors of the lands, wherever we are. Thank you for guiding us in this moment. Take one more long, deep inhale, one more long exhale. Just opening circle, whenever you're ready, gently float eyes back open, coming back into the space. Thank you so much, Erin. Thank you. Thank you. And congratulations on your Thank book. You. Thank you. And the, the gift that that is to, to all of us and to the world. And it was such a joy to be able to listen to it over these last couple of weeks, just taking you with me on walks. So such a joy. So we're here celebrating the book and I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about it. So the book, Grounded, A Fierce Feminine Guide to Connecting with the Soil and Healing from the Ground Up. So tell us a little bit about the book and what you would say is the main inquiry, the main question that carried you through the journey of writing it. Sure. I actually have it here. I just brought it just because I feel like it's fun to like hold the actual thing. And um, I love the, I love everything about it, this little object. So, okay. It's, it started out being um, what I thought was a scientific inquiry about soil health. So the microscopic life in soil and climate change. And this was about seven years ago. So the journey has been about seven years long um, where I thought that I was going to take my PhD in urban planning and sustainability and apply it to some some unusual like interdisciplinary studies around this soil health climate thing, which I actually learned about right after graduate school. And, um, and that just brought me into this, what I'm going to call like my spiritual journey. That was the very beginning, um, attempting to like getting the downloads sort of the call to write this book and then, and then charging forward with it, thinking that I was going to be providing, uh, scientific facts to people that were going to like change the world and like save the world or something, whatever I thought I was going to do. And it ended up bringing me to the divine feminine metaphor. Um, it brought me to Bali for yoga teacher training and energetic work for the first time in my life. Um, it brought me, I would say I stumbled upon the tantric path, having no idea that's what I was doing at the time, um, introduced me to the chakra system. And, um, and as I started to learn about the divine feminine, this story just started to unfurl and my own storytelling started to unfurl. And so it's really hard to, I have no elevator pitch. Like I have no one sentence thing about what this is about. It's, um, it's a journey. And uh, when I came across the divine feminine metaphor as sort of nature at first, and then having that unfurl as mother earth, and then maybe four years down the line, realizing that uh, the soil itself is the oldest divine feminine metaphor. So I'd been writing a book about soil for that long and the divine feminine, literally not knowing that those two things were actually one in, in a metaphorical sense. Um, and so, and just quickly, I'll just tell, I'll tell this part because I think it's the most important kind of aha moment is that as a divine feminine metaphor, when people are like, what does that mean? It's like, you have the soil, the healthy soil, you part the soil, you plant the seed, right? And then you cover the soil and then um, life gestates underground in the darkness and then life is born. And so we have the seed metaphor um, and the plant metaphor as the great divine feminine mother metaphor. I mean, life is born this way after gestating. And then that 
helped me realize that that seed metaphor related to the the moon the seed, the moon is a seed metaphor as, as well with waxing and waning and all of this started to connect me to the actual cycles of nature whereas what we were looking at before was emissions and um, carbon sequestration so you know like carbon going up carbon going down and and this scaled me back to a bigger picture a sort of more ancient picture of uh, connecting with the cycles of nature. And I realized over years that this is what I was actually writing about. This is what my journey was actually about. Um, so that's what it's about, is about this unfurling of the soul and our, our own healing and how um, from sort of Western academic perspective, things look one way and then you start really getting into it. Um, I almost said digging into it because the metaphor is like never <laughs> in the silliest ways uh, that when we're, even when we're talking about soil health and climate change, actually we're talking about the great mother and actually we're talking about healing with the soil and we're talking about healing with the earth and that the inner work and the outer work are one, as I say in the book, where um, there's no way to heal unto ourselves without healing with the earth. And there's no way to heal with the earth without healing unto ourselves. So that's, that's most of it. Thank you. Yeah, it really struck me how interconnected the whole book was and how many beautiful themes you wove together. And I really learned a lot. And so just to say back what you, a few things you said, you, you brought up the divine feminine, soil science, soil health, climate change, uh, patriarchy. There was also economics, which is personal interest to me. So there were so many things that you wove together. So perhaps for, for folks joining us tonight and for myself even, since we have you who studied this in such great depth, uh, let's, let's unpick that a little bit. Maybe let's start with what's the connection between soil health and climate change? Why why should we care about the relationship between the two of them? And, and why do you have this such um, intent focus on, on the soil health and, and bringing that to folks' attention? Mm, yeah, thank you. So I, again, I have a PhD in urban planning and sustainable cities, right? And I was looking at emissions and I was looking at what cities could do to like change the built environment, but we were always focused on emissions. And like I said, after, after I graduated, I was exposed to this notion of soil health and climate change. I was like, how did I get through six years of a PhD without understanding that there's this huge blind spot? There's this huge missing part of the conversation, which seven years ago was the case, seven years now, like fast forward, and this is becoming far more um, mainstream even, but certainly within the climate conversation, soil health and what we now call the regenerative agriculture movement has um, made a lot of headway in the last seven years in terms of shifting the conversation. And the basic thing is that the soil is alive and there's microsco microscopic life in the soil, which many of us don't even think about. I don't know that I did that much before. I know gardeners do, you know, but people like your regular person walking around, I never thought that much about it. Um, and I came to discover that uh, through industrial agriculture and a lot of the practices that we have uh, with our soil and deforestation, pretty much anything that destroys plants and the soil, um, we are releasing huge amounts of carbon into the atmosphere through that act, not just through fossil fuel emissions or um, driving cars, et cetera. And so we started to look at that. And the place I landed with this was this sort of, again, the cycles of nature, the way that I break it down in kind of like the kindergarten level, so we can get a picture, is that it's like there's the soil, the, the earth part of the cycle, there's the air, the atmosphere part of the cycle, and there's the water part of the cycle in the most simple terms. Um, and right now there's obviously too much carbon in the atmosphere, we know that. 
Uh, we also know that there's too much carbon in the uh, oceans because they have been absorbing a lot of the carbon from the atmosphere, which not everybody knows, but it's causing what we call ocean acidification. And that's another big problem that's directly related to having too much carbon in the atmosphere. And the other part of this um, cycle is the soil, the earth part. And that's the part that doesn't have enough, enough carbon. Because the thing is that soil, like healthy soil with microscopic life in it um, holds carbon. It loves carbon, it needs carbon. This microscopic life under the soil interacts with the carbon and plants need the carbon. They pull the carbon in naturally via photosynthesis. And so um, when we destroy the plants, the forest, the soil, all of this carbon escapes and then we're, we're greatly exacerbating this, uh, this problem. And when you look at it from a cyclical part like point of view that way that it's actually looking at the sort of bro the broken part of the cycle or the part of the cycle that is is off kilter and that's the soil and so the way i started to see it is like the soil actually the earth needs to inhale you know it needs to we need to reverse this thing take it back around by honoring the fact that there's something called the carbon cycle which it's just these you know it's extremely microscopic little things that are hard to think about the carbon molecules are <laughs> you know moving around like the water cycle this is the way i think about it where it's like learning about the water cycle in elementary school, you know, it's like, oh, the water never goes anywhere. It just moves around. It transforms. It becomes all these different things. That's essentially how the carbon cycle works. And so um, that's the really, really basic kind of elementary school version of why the soil, how the soil is related to climate change. And, um, and then if you get back around to it, the plants themselves, as they draw in carbon, they draw in carbon naturally. And the process of photosynthesis is, of course, has always been going on for all of time and is free. And what it is is they essentially inhale this carbon in the most simple form, bring it down, bring it kind of through their bodies down to the roots. And we'll probably get into a conversation about mycorrhizal fungi that's slightly more complicated, but that they're then, they interact with this like fungal partner that then helps bring the carbon all the way down to the soil, providing the things that the microscopic life needs down there. And also um, in that process creates more space in the soil for to aerate the soil. Um, it helps the soil hold a considerable considerable amount more of more water and like clean the water and so all of these things sort of work together if you think of like the forest floor and the way that it composts on its own that's a kind of good visual to get a handle on what healthy soil is about thank you thank you for that and let's go ahead and introduce the third one of the another character in this third character the divine feminine so in your book you do you go from really telling us about soil science and climate change. And then you bring in the divine feminine and patriarchy and historical perspectives. So tell us again a little bit more about the divine feminine, what, what that means to you and, and how the divine feminine enters into that, that relationship as a metaphor, but also as a potential place for healing. Right. Thank you. So I've come to learn again by like sort of stumbling onto the tantric path of the, the beginnings. Um, if you think of the, I get asked a lot about the divine feminine and the divine masculine. And as I've learned, it's these um, complementary energies that weave through everything, through all of life. And this is again, kind of a relatively recent like learning in my life. And um, so the, the way that I've learned it is the masculine is more like um, a mountain energy. It's sort of there, it's um, the great protector. It's also an initiatory energy. And then the feminine is like the ocean. It's like the, the energy of the ocean. So equally powerful. 
um, but it's more the divine feminine is more um, liquid, moving, fluids, and receiving. It's the receiving energy. So we have an initiatory energy and a receiving energy, or a giving and a receiving, which is how all of the dance of life flows. And when nature is in balance, this is just flowing freely um, throughout everything. And a lot of what I talk about is how we've fallen out of balance in this, in this dance. And so again, back to that sort of like soil as like parting the soil, plant the seed, this like the actual mother, it's like pregnancy, right? Gestation in the dark and then giving birth and then life goes again. And then to go all the way around the seed metaphor, the plant then grows and then dies at some point and comes back and becomes compost, goes back to the earth, back to the mother. And we all go around again. And this is the eternal dance of life that is there's never ending. Um, and it's totally different than the notion of uh, when we start to talk about patriarchy or what I sometimes call the toxic masculine, although it gets really tricky with the language because people have so many associations with these things. Um, but that it's that is more of a taking energy. So actually, in the book, I talk about patriarchy. I see it as the externalized ego. So it's like the ego that we're all dealing with in our personal work and things. It's like a collective ego um, that has somehow become like a greater force that is neither the divine masculine nor the divine feminine. It has actually nothing to do with either. It's it's that taking energy that doesn't exist in nature. Like it's something else. And so um, so. So coming to understand these equally balanced energies within ourselves, we can do healing work around that in ourselves. And then looking at that in nature and looking at where are we harming? Well, obviously we're harming the soil all the time. And there are, unfortunately there are rape metaphors. You know, we, we get into the goddess history and things like this, where we've had, we used to honor um, the great goddess, the great mother in every indigenous culture all over the world for all of time has honored the great mother because of, of what I just said, because um, of the birth metaphor, you know, it's just, it's really obvious once you sort of look at it, it's like gestating life, the power of the darkness, you know, the power of gestation, um, where we do a lot of people honor, let's say the sun as the source of life. And it is, it's a source of life, but also the darkness is equally powerful. If we had all, all sun and no soil, you know, if we had no place to gestate, there would be no life. It would, if we burnt out all the soil, there would be no life. Like it, it's always a balance between the two. Um, so that's where the feminine comes in and, and just the sense of, the lost stories of the great mother or the maybe damaged stories of the great mother where when we have, when, whenever we started to tell stories that were harmful to her as a character or to the goddesses as characters, we also started to um, enact it in actual literal violence with women um, and girls all over the world and also people of color. Like I say that, um, that all of um, genocide, unfortunately, and slavery and all of all of these things where we think that we can own something or if we can own people or land, you know, we're off, we're out of balance in that way. Um, and all of these acts are an extension of our harmed relationship and our being out of balance with the masculine and the feminine. Thank you. Thank you, Erin. And you brought up your view of the ego. And I found this really interesting in your book, your both view on it and also how a more healthier relationship could be mm -hmm. with the ego. Can you speak right. more about that? Sure. And this is also relatively recent in my personal journey. Um, it's, it's part of an internal healing journey where at some point, uh, if we haven't learned this growing up, we learn that we are dealing with 
our, our own soul, our higher self, and also sort of another voice that is sort of our egoic voice, whatever that is. And it's always there. We can't like, there's a lot of talk about like crushing the ego or getting rid of the ego or all these things. But my understanding is that it's a forever balance. It's something along the lines of, um, I've, I've read in, in a beautiful book called Sand Talk that it's um, three to one. So it's like three parts soul, one part ego. And you just have to always know that. And all of the wisdom traditions know that. And we work with the ego. And so it's it's something that we reflect upon all the time. But if we let the ego, if we lose our traditions, if we lose our path, if we forget, the ego just takes over and and we just think that that's life, you know, which I think collectively it feels like is happening often is, is this like um, the state of climate change that we're in and biodiversity loss and o- ocean acidification, all of this incredible destruction and all of the violence and all these other things I think um, are directly related to the ego out of control. You know, it's like, it's not that we need to control the ego, but it's run amok, you know, it has gotten out and, um, and because we don't have these um, alive wisdom traditions as indigenous cultures always have and passed along and we're not practicing as a collective right now. I mean, many of us are obviously like people watching this or are, are pretty like, this is not new information most likely, but, um, on the whole, there's, I think, um, the ego as what I would call patriarchy or the toxic masculine as a sort of entity that is, um, doing things like mountaintop mining, you know, like, um, uh, extensive, um, damage to indigenous people still to this day, you know, all of the violence to this day, um, is, is an extension of that. It's like, we've, we've fallen all, I'm not going to say we've lost our way. Cause I don't think we're ever officially lost. I don't, there's such a thing as lost, but we're pretty, we're pretty far out of alignment right now. I would say looking at, um, based on outcomes, you know, based on what we're looking at in terms of climate change and everything happening in in the planet and and especially what we're doing to each other. You know, the fact that we still have this much violence um, and in hatred or reaction to each other is I think a reflection that we have a lot of internal healing work to do around what what we would call the, the ego and the soul. I'm really hearing a call for us all to remember it's like remember recall but also remember exactly back together in relationship with the web of life in relationship Mm. with one another in relationship with our higher self as you're saying with our larger ecological self you know all the the widening circles of who we are so yeah remembering it's fascinating I I, maybe it was you that wrote that I can't because I just saw that the other day as well maybe maybe I was looking at your bio or something but I was thinking of the um, the great goddess and her dismembering, like what literally what happened in the stories was she got dismembered, like the, like humans told stories about the dismembering of the goddess and they spread her like body parts all over and all of this horrific stuff um, where it's when we forget in, in that way, we dismember, you know, and we disintegrate and then... Um, and then there's a great remembering, which you can get into an interesting conversation about, like where I'm just arriving now with like the yugas and things like this, where there's like there's a great forgetting and a great remembering. And there are these eternal tides that that move through, um, which I think is actually very supportive. It's like, OK, maybe we're just at one of these points that is of a great forgetting and and we get to see how uncomfortable this is and how painful this is and how. Um, destructive this level of separation and forgetting is and that it's time to to turn the corner and come back on around and start to remember like literally it's also remembering like being embodied right you know I mean so much of this is about like the lower three chakras and remembering that we are embodied 
individuals, like in, in people and animals, you know, like unto, um, unto ourselves and to each other and remembering how connected we are and that we in fact are nature. We are, we are the mother as well. Yeah. In your book, you speak about that being in class and someone saying we are nature and, and you really take that, take that view on. And I'm, I'm wondering as you're speaking, if compost remembers, mm. right? Mm. If, if as <laughs> things disintegrate yeah. and, and yeah. compost, mm. there is a remembering of life throughout the cycle. That's true. I love it when new things arrive. I'm like, oh, I should put that in the book. Oh, I can't write it. <laughs> But like, um, and thankfully the book gets to stay exactly as it is and there's no more editing, but, um, absolutely. It's a re a a disintegration and a reintegration, you know, a forgetting and then a remembering and a re, um, re kind of assimilating as in, in the material way as like matter as mother. Right. So coming back through and that, and honoring that that's actually neutral. It's not, um, it's not a terrible tragedy. It's part of nature. It's part of the, the inhale and the exhale of everything. And yeah, I know that this book took seven years and it's, it's complete and it's out there in the world. And yet I want to drop into this present moment for you right now in end of March, 2021. And I'm curious what's alive for you right now and what's moving you right now. And perhaps if we, if we bring in grief, which can help point to that, which we love in the world, that which we really care about. I'm wondering what you're grieving for or what's breaking your heart right now. Just what's alive, what's up for you as we as we gather here right now this evening. Yeah, it's it's an incredibly potent moment in my life, which it would have been no matter what because of the book coming out. Um, and life just decided, you know, the way that things aligned in my life, um, there are many things moving. So I actually just personally moved out of my home of six years, which was the exact, um, pretty much the exact duration of writing the book. You know, this is the first year when I was traveling around and then I landed in this space. And exactly as the book came out into the world, I was like expelled <laughs> to also into the world, birthed out. Like it was just time um, for me to be out and I'm somewhere in between. And uh, and I had some, some plans of what I was going to do, but I have a 16 year old cat that um, unfortunately is she's got a sickness now that's pretty serious and I just found out about that as like the on the second you know as I was moving and um, so I've been in this kind of tornado of like moving parts um, physically and I was just reflecting on it as I was getting ready just the um, the root trauma you know and and the way that I moved into that home, I had moved eight times in three years. So it's actually a very similar moment. It feels similarly chaotic in a sense. Um, My beautiful friend who does work on the alchemy of chaos talks about um, chaos being the um, place where all possibility exists. So again, it's the void, right? We're in, I'm in the void. (laughs) So I'm talking about the void, I'm writing about the void and I'm in it, you know? And I'm also in many ways, also feeling like I'm getting dismembered, like I'm getting disintegrated. Like I, you know, all of the familiar things, all of the the, the things that have sort of feel like they've held me together in many ways or been touch points are moving. Like the whole thing is moving right now, which is actually very feminine as well. It's the void and it's also fluid, you know, it's this fluid energy. Um, so it's been a real deep invitation to taking my own medicine, you know, and this notion of like staying grounded because um, this is a, a very ungrounding moment that I happen to be in and to continue to speak about it, to continue to show up and, um, sort of like deliver, but you know, I'm, I'm talking most days about the work that I've been doing in the middle of this great transition. And, um, and then we just had, you know, last week we had, well, we've had more than one now, even since 
we started connecting um, of just hate crimes and shootings. And it's not like that wasn't happening before, but one in particular is, um, you know, aimed at uh, Asian women and that I'm half Chinese and it hit really close to home. Um, and there's something about that saying, hitting close to home. This has been coming over and over because it's, um, it's the root chakra, right? It's home, foundation, identity, tribe. And so um, the fact that there is that there's such extreme violence in this moment, and for me, the fact that it's like, um, to me, it's like, there's an interesting, interesting thing about tribe because I am so disconnected as well. Like my, um, I've been doing work around my like maternal line and my paternal line. And on the maternal side, my mother came from Taiwan uh, to the U S and her parents came from China. Um, then that next generation around the cultural revolution. And before that, I think we may have had, at least on the maternal side, we may have had ties to Mongolia, which is right there. Um, and I, cause I've had a lot of deep spiritual intuition around like Mongolian throat singing and, um, and just the, the horses and the eagles and the, and the things that are going on there I can feel something around it, feel something sort of vibrational, um, where it's like, this conversation around indigeneity and when we when we have it or don't have it or how far you know how far back um are we connected or disconnected from what feels like our original land our original people our original tribe and then i i think it feels like that um the tragedies that are occurring is this is this unrootedness in the collective right it's the um our inability to to grieve you know our, our lack of um wisdom practices and rituals around grief in general, around death in general. Um, the mental health aspects I feel like are bubbling to the surface in this moment now as it feels like the world is kind of opening up in a way and this, you know, the shift in tides of vaccines and all the things that are happening. Um, it was about this time last year that we were going into this, right? We were going into this epic transformation. And I think the kind of beginning exit, like cocoon leaving moment, which is what it feels like is dredging something up it's wrenching something in all of us um and i've seen like a lot of pets pass i've seen a lot of um sudden illnesses that people are coming down you know there are things like our bodies are feeling it our, our our souls are feeling it um so yeah it's been i've been experiencing more grief than i have in a long time honestly it's been it's been um much more everything was quite i actually i i was in a really fortunate and I'd say like even privileged bubble for quite some time being able to write and support this book and um, losing like actually my, my literal home, you know, having my cat be sick, having huge things going on in the world that are um, incredibly painful to me and also to those that I love around that are experiencing it and feeling that those waves of grief. Um, the, yeah, that's what's up for me in this, in this moment. Thank you. And we hear you. And I, I want to invite one more um, area of honoring our pain, the grief for the soil. Uh, I, I think maybe folks are less familiar perhaps around what's happening with the soil and, and, and what we're grieving there. So can, can you share a little bit about, because I know you also, um, you worked in this field as well, and maybe you could talk about, talk about that, that work too, working with soil health, but yeah, why, what's going on there and what's, where's the grief for us there? It's interesting. What comes to mind is, is less professional when you ask that question. Um, it, it brings me to, I was, I was in a really deep, what I would call great mother ceremony almost exactly this time last year. So right. Just, just before the great shutdowns um, 
and uh, I was I was in there for 36 hours, and and there was um, a long period of time that I was on hands and knees like child's pose, um, and there was a moment when I actually sort of got the download. I was like, oh, it's it's child's pose, like hands and knees, like and forehead to the earth, right? Um, because we're her children, like it, like the the actual the stuff I had been writing about. I understood sort of intellectually and I could say it or I was channeling it, but in this moment it became in this, in this ceremony and this experience, it became like visceral, like in my body, actually truly experienced real time, um, which is always hard to explain in plant medicine ceremonies because you're then once again, abstracting it to tell people about what happened, you know, and try to use language and words. But um, I was in Southern California, I was in LA and the, the place where I was, the soil um, was, it was a lawn, it would be a lawn, you know, um, but it was bone dry, like bo bone dry and it was hard. And so to put my forehead on the earth, actually it was like scraping and scratching my forehead. Like that's how, how hard it was. And I, I remember feeling it, I, I can feel it now where it's like, it's so dry. Like it's not, it's not supposed to be that way. It's never supposed to be like compacted and hard and dry. There's no life there. It was gone. And so if you imagine, um, like you imagine the womb, you know, the womb is fertile, like there's microscopic life there. Like that's the, that's the dance of all things. That's where life, um, gestates. And if you imagine this like packed hard earth with like nothing, no care, no love, no, no um, microscopic life, no, no, I couldn't, you know, you couldn't part that soil. That's not soil. You know, that was just packed earth. Um, I could just feel emotionally how painful that was for her, the mother, you know, like her, her, the way she likes to be is, is this like, is the forest floor, you know, it's this rich, um, like, uh, e e like teeming with life ecosystem of things that do their things and they compost and, and it all goes around and around, uh, and so, yeah, the grief, um, I think it's, it's in our unconscious collectively in a way that we don't, we're, we're not fully recognizing, but it's there because we can, because we walk on her and we can feel it. And um, I don't know that she grieves exactly. I can't, I can't speak for Mother Earth. That's silly. <laughs> like, I'm not going to like put myself in her shoes, but I do, I feel, I feel like she has, in that moment, she was, she was actually very peaceful because I was weeping and, um, apologizing you know I was like I you know we're so sorry and and the answer that I received was like it's okay your children like you're all like that's what children do like it's just everything is forgivable and forgiven like it's it's um she's fine you know <laughs> like she's it's not the way she likes it to be but it's like the lesson for us you know the grief is really in our own hearts because we're the ones that did it so that answers your question Yes, and I'm reminded of flying and looking down and seeing the patches of monocrops. You know, sometimes when you fly and I had a feeling of kind of scars across the earth's surface or even kind of rashes, like the, these monocrop look bizarre in their wholly calculated and very geometric shapes. So I, I hear you on that, that um, feeling for the soil and feeling with the soil. So let's go into the soil then. You brought up the mycorrhiza, the fungi underneath. And it's so beautiful to see so many wonderful films coming out about mushrooms and books coming out about mushrooms. 
So tell us about tell us about mushrooms. Why why folks should care? Maybe where folks can learn more because uh, it's, it's such a such a, a hidden world, the the wood mm. wide web. Uh, I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's so many so many beautiful also lessons that we can learn. I remember uh, talking with a group of folks and saying, "Oh, what if we based our economic systems off of mycorrhiza fungi networks where?" there's redistribution of wealth when a tree dies and there's sharing of resources and information. So mm-hmm. tell us about mushrooms <laughs> and your that. passion for them, which I love. Yeah. <laughs> um, so many things come to mind at the same time. I hope I can like catch them all. But um, at first, my first thought was um, the fan- fantastic fungi, fungi um, book and movie, I think are a great place to start if this is brand new information to you. I just think it's, it's, it's a really rich and well done um, piece of work. And Paul Stamets is obviously like Mr. Mushroom, like in his mushroom hat, <laughs> met him, met him in person once and he is like he is that person um so if you want to really nerd out about mushrooms there are many many opportunities there are like groups of mushroom enthusiasts around the country which i had no idea there were like well there were mushroom fairs before when we had fairs but they'll come back um and then there's of course the relationship with um psilocybin and and like the magical mushrooms um psychedelic mushrooms and the healing capacity of the the plant and fungus kingdoms and uh and how they are so very much our teachers, you know, where we're sitting here with our egos again, you know, thinking that we can like control these things and that we can like kill them, you know, and and it'll be fine. Um, And then actually they're sitting here sort of like patiently, like teaching us and just in their beings, in their existence. And then also sometimes like medicinally and ceremony. Um, I, so I learned about, so mycorrhizal fungi in the very beginning, it's like, this also this uh, sort of kindergarten like thing like notion is that you've got your little plant right you've got your soil and then like you've got your your roots and I always thought the roots were the things that did all that work you know they do the sort of bartering that goes on with whatever's under the soil and actually for most plants um, this other thing this mycorrhizal fungi this like spider like fungal network thing that it's like white when you like you know, pull up your soil. Sometimes you see this white stringy stuff. That's what it is. If you have a garden out there and you don't know. Um, and it is the middleman. It's like the in-between and it actually, um, very much assists the plants and its roots in this bartering network. And so this mycorrhizal fungi is, um, is essential for all of life on earth. And it's essential. Um, gardeners particularly know this. I love this about, they're like, oh yes, because they buy the things and they put them in there to help their plants. Right. Um, but in like industrial agriculture, for example, and over tilling and the number of things that we're doing that are harmful to the soil, um, we're actually like over tilling, for example, it's like you just, if you cut through those, those thin spider like threads, you, you can eventually kill them. Right. And that is, um, a huge part. If you imagine those wonderful little things are dying off, um, then what's happening is all that carbon that was being brought down and being stored in the soil in this healthy, wonderful kingdom, um, just sort of dies off and then releases back into the atmosphere. And then it's exacerbating this problem. Um, and so, yeah, you've got down there, you've got like, cute things. So you've got like your nematodes and like your worms, <laughs> your little, like all of these crazy, like, you get into nerding out about microscopic life. It's really, it's really something. Um, so yeah. And then also this love for, um, the fungus kingdom because they, they, it, whatever it is brings so much. And we don't even know. It's like, Oh, it's a very strange, huge kingdom. You know, <laughs> where It's like, we actually, there's so much we don't understand about it. Um, and, uh, I think that's why when you really get into it, you go to like a, mushroom fair or something like all the different kinds and the different um 
ways that we have identified them and the ways that we can eat them and then the ways that we can work with them in ceremony. Um, I feel like like the way Paul Stamets runs around with his like mushroom hat, like literally he's a guy wearing a hat made out of mushrooms, which is another thing. We can make things out of mushrooms, like the way that they're kind of, the way that hemp is like a super plant, mushrooms have this capacity to um, be made into all kinds of leather-like substances and things that are compostable. And so it's a huge question of mine, like why we don't have so many more mushroom-based companies and things when we're looking at um, like a regenerative economy, a compostable economy, a zero waste economy. We need to make things that can compost and also be strong and useful. Um, so there's so many, I mean, it goes in all of these different directions to like the um, just sort of like the cute like attachment and then the profound uh, nature of uh, psychedelic work and healing um, to the role that they play in plants and agriculture and feeding us. And, um, and Paul Stamets says that they are sentient edge runners and that they can sense our, our past. Like when we walk by, they know that we're there, which I just feel like is so incredibly magical. And it's just such a funny thing to not be conscious of, not be aware of that. This is part of the remembering. It's like, rem remember our partners in life, you know, we need them. Yeah. The web of life that we are a part of, right. And then is under us and all around us. And yeah, I love walking in forests after like a mist or a rain where you can actually see all the spider webs connecting everything and just reminding us of interconnectedness. And, and the thought from you just now is just that, yeah, the web that's underneath our feet in, in healthy soils, right? Yeah. Well, the web and like the, the metaphor of the spider is the great creatrix also where the eight legged creatrix and the spider webs, like the weaver, like grandmother spider, like weaving, weaving creation, weaving what we call reality, weaving consciousness, like that's storytelling. And that's where, um, that's where we get into that conversation about what are our origin stories? Do we have origin stories? What origin stories are, are underlying Western, what I would call Western culture loosely? Um, what are the origin stories from around the world? Like it actually ties directly in um, to this notion of webs. And then of course the metaphor of like the internet and the, in our brain webs, like how much they look like these, these webs that remind us of the interconnectedness of all things. Erin, would you tell us a story? Because I know yeah. <laughs> you studied uh, and you looked up a lot of goddess stories in the writing of the book and exploring the divine feminine, uh, partially the, the, again, going to grief, the ways that those stories have been changed or, uh, you know, co-opted or altered. But maybe if you could tell us some of the, the originals, uh, maybe one of your one of the goddesses that you'd like to call in to folks listening or to us during this time right now. Yeah. Thank you. There are, there are a few, I feel like, um, I don't know if I can say just one I'll try. We'll see what, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, one that has jumped out of course is Lilith. And so she, she showed up early in, um, in plant medicine ceremony for me, I actually made herself very well known. And, uh, and I discovered her story, which I didn't know. It also is, has been buried in many ways. Um, but she was apparently Adam's first wife. So Adam of Ad Adam and Eve, um, Adam's first wife, apparently Adam had a wife and, um, they were made of the same earth is, is the story that I've been told. And so they were equals. And then there was this moment, the version, they're all different versions, but the version that I've heard the most is that, um, Adam wanted her to be subservient uh, sexually in this specific way. And in this story, there's already kind of another like male God figure, which is, it wasn't always there. It's not in every story, but in this version, um, 
there's like a, a an outside male god figure and um so lilith uh, I, they go to god and then it's sort of like oh if she leaves uh if she doesn't do this, then um, she will have demon babies for the rest of her life or something. She'll have a thousand babies a day and then and she'll watch them all die is this horrific story. And uh, she chooses not to still chooses not to be subservient to Adam exits and gets this and takes on this punishment. So chooses this punishment. And um, so basically she represents feminine autonomy in a sense. Um, and then the extension of that is then Eve was written in. So she was written in like from Adam's rib. So now woman is not made from the same earth um eve is made from the man and this male god character that's relatively new is sort of there um and then we get the adam and eve story that goes on where like woman becomes the fall of man and this whole this original sin story um <laughs> and that did it like that that's very particular i feel like to western culture and to um sort of the abrahamic religions and and how and that evolution of going from great goddess like great father great mother uh earth-based spirituality to some kind of other like what i would call it is a patriarchal story with like a kind of a singular male god and um and a subservient woman and then lilith basically um from what i understand the christian christian traditions has become totally demonized and apparently they're even like wristbands or something where like they're anti-Lilith or something because she has been perceived as a threat to the holy union, which is Adam and Eve, right? So if you watch the evolution of um, these origin stories and how this original, let's say couple, you know, the way that like love, like romantic love in this sense between a man and a woman in this case um, was portrayed and then completely shifted with the power completely being taken away and um, with her suffering. So she's been vilified as this demon for all of this time. And I put her in the book because I want to reclaim her story or help her reclaim her own story, which is that actually she's a, she's a symbol of um, feminine empowerment and autonomy and choice. And she took on um, this horrible fate uh, to choose herself, which is unbelievably powerful. Um, and then you can also watch the legacy of how are we telling stories about like romantic love, about sex, about um, this one male God and like, who, who is he? <laughs> Where did he come from? And when did all this get written? And, um, so that's that's one big one. And then I also I feel um, Hera coming in. So it was like Hera and Zeus, right, of the Greece uh, of the Greek um, origin stories. And apparently Hera was a in in. Uh, in indigenous Greece, like pre-Hellenic Greece, Hera was a triple moon goddess unto herself. So um, maiden, mother, crone, you know, these much more ancient sort of notions, again, to the um, the moon, the seed metaphor, the um, the maiden, mother, crone is all sort of written into these origin, um, cyclical nature related stories and origin stories. And she was that, she was the great mother, she was the great goddess. And then um, some people came along to like take over again. And now we're talking about private property. We're talking about conquest. We're talking about colonization. Somebody came in and um, wrote in Zeus. So Zeus didn't, he didn't exist. If he did, he was like a much smaller character and he was not her partner. So he was written in as her partner. Um, and they wrote him in as a rapist. And so he became like the, the origin story sitting at the base of what I'm gonna call Western culture is is a rape story and so he was this like philanderer he was a shape-shifting rapist this is like our great god right this is like one of the original sort of like male god characters 
And, um, and again, these are origin stories that actually aren't that old, you know, I think relatively speaking, I think we forget in Western culture, we because these stories have been kind of planted or made as if or like parenthesized as if this is all of time which is really silly like this is a very small period of time actually relative to all of time and what what's existing around all of this of all of time is the great mother and in, in all of her glory and in this little parenthesis we've got this like awful character frankly um and then Hera in this situation never leaves him so she stays um by obligation, but but she gets written into this sort of like jealous um, woman who like acts out on all of these other goddesses because he's running around like raping and doing whatever he's doing, and so she takes it out on all of them in this in this whole line of mythology that we have sitting now in our subconscious. You know, we've said however however many thousands of years we've got these characters written in in this particular way, which um, strips power from the great mother, strips power from women, um, places rape metaphors there and um, gives all the power to this person who's uh, enacting these terrible crimes and uh, and then creates a caricature out of um, the, the wife, you know, or whoever that character is. And so for me, I mean, this is, I can feel it now. So I talk about grief and rage um, in the book because I'm like, when you get to this point in the book, you probably, most likely, you will, if you're connected to it, you'll feel grief and rage. And, and I offer some exercises and some ways to kind of, um, manage what happens when we suddenly become conscious of this storytelling and the through lines and the way that things that may seem um, not so relevant are actually immediately relevant to what we're doing now to like mountaintop mining, you know, and harm to indigenous peoples and lands. Like it's, there's a direct line um, to how we treat women and girls all over the world um, in terms of violence, in terms of lack of education, and it goes on and on. Um, so those are the ones that, um, there's an, actually, there's another one. Do we have time to do? Uh, <laughs> um, so Vesta is another one. And she was the keeper of hearth and home, as I understand it, and the keeper of the sacred flame. And she was also, uh, she led the Vestal virgins who were sacred sexual priestesses. And this, this you know, I talk a lot about sexuality in the book, actually. And um, it's about sexual healing. And again, we're talking about the tantric path. We're talking about the balance between the masculine and the feminine. Um, we're talking about the second chakra. So we've talked a lot about the root chakra and like the first one and home identity foundation. And we get to the second one, it's um, creativity, sexuality, money, and sexuality as the creative life force of the universe, the creative life force that runs through everything. Um, and that runs through all of nature. Like if you look at nature, it's very sexual. Of course it is. It's reproduced. You know, it's the nature of nature. And so um, she was, uh, she oversaw the Vestal Virgins. And at some point, once again, with like a, an actual like physical takeover, an actual sort of like colonization, um, she, the way that she was worshipped got broken apart and she was separated from the virgins and the word virgin was um, co-opted and shifted to what we know now. So virgin used to mean woman unto herself or something along those lines. And um, as sacred sexual healers, their role was, it was sacred. It was incredibly important to have these, these sacred sexual healers and their roles got split in two. So they were told that they um, could either um, they could keep their role as sort of nuns, but they had to give up their sexuality, which would make them then virgins, like not having sex, which is a new definition. And if they did that, then they could keep their um, 
they could keep their political power and their money. And so apparently like the word Vesta, her name has been rolled into the word investment. So we're talking about, um, as you look at, you know, the state of capitalism and what, um, how that is playing out in, uh, in the world and this word investment and the way that we think about private property, which is the way that we think about land and the way that we think about people. Um, it, there's a direct line to, to Vesta and her uh, keeping of the sacred flame and the keeping of uh, sacred sexual healing and the incredible importance of that in society, which is, which is alive, but very, very heavily um, suppressed and, and oppressed even violently to this day. Um, so. Yeah, I want to bring back, I mean, just bringing these uh, great goddesses back and their stories and and unpacking these, I would say, devastating rewrites that we are continuing to live out and play out in um, in society because we've left it in the unconscious. And so it's just it's running the show until we until we re take those stories back, rewrite those stories, um, claim our power, give power back to the goddesses to which, you know, they once belonged and um, and re remember, remember. Yeah, remembering the goddess stories. Thank you. So I I really love this metaphor. It's called the upstream metaphor, and it's it's one where you the metaphor comes from. I, I know it from public health, where you imagine you're standing at the bank of a river and you see someone float by who's drowning. So you have to go upstream to figure out, you know, why is this person floating down the river drowning? Why are all these people keep floating down the river drowning? And we, we've spoken about a lot this evening around uh, everything from, you know, the soil experience that you had with your forehead being so dry, uh, the, the tilling, which is cutting the mycorrhiza networks, the acidification of the ocean. We've talked about the hate crimes um, that have happened recently. We've talked about um, your own feeling of, you know, dislocation and having to move and feeling disconnected. Right. And and then, of course, these stories of domination over women in in the stories, the retelling of the stories and in, yeah, in general, violence against women and girls. So I'm wondering if you were to take these uh, challenges, um, some are historical, some are present. Right. And you were to go upstream from them. What are the root causes that are causing these? What are the root causes of these problems that we're facing? I mean, I think it takes us right back to those goddess um, stories that we're talking about. So somewhere, and this is interesting because I think it's impossible to pinpoint. I have tried to chase it around kind of historically. Um, and there's no, as far as I can understand, there's no exact, we don't know. Like there, there was some tipping point where I would say like the ego got loose and no, I don't quite know how it happened or like when or what, or maybe it's just part of the great inhale and exhale of all things. And it always happens and it's happened multiple times in time space or you <laughs> get kind of like psychedelic non-time space. Um, but it happens and we are living in a world where the ego is basically totally run amok to the point where it's sort of unconsciously running the show. These stories are unconsciously running the show and the show that we are creating is incredibly destructive to the point of almost destroying ourselves. Um, and so it's, it's right in that juncture of wherever we went from living in harmony with nature, living with earth-based spirituality and wisdom and wisdom keepers and ceremony and ritual and um, plant medicine, working with plants, listening to the plants and the animals, remembering um, 
and living in balance in that way and having uh, when we would fall out of balance a little bit, there was a community or there were ways uh, to, to help reinvite us back into balance and to stay. Um, but when that thing tips in the collective, then there's no then we lose track and then we have lost our um, our ceremonies and things, even to the point where the the wisdom keepers, the actual humans, the people who are, were connected to the land, um, then have violence enacted upon them to um, to to try to erase those those ways. And um, we talk about like the crim criminalization of plant medicine, right? We have, like look at how much stuff is legal, and then look at this incredible healing modality for humans um, that is that is uh, criminalized. Like that's astounding what we have done in this, in this huge reversal. And so I think that separating from the plants, uh, separating from the land, some, at some point the notion of private property arising. And so believing anybody believing that we can own land, anybody believing that we can own humans uh, will uh, downstream create exactly what we've got, which, you know, through that line, we've got genocide, we've got slavery, we've got colonization. Um, we have, climate change and extreme violence, basically. Like that's when you break apart this original connection, uh, you get all of these problems. And so the way to heal all of that is to just like circle back around, like turn that corner, whatever that looks like and start to remember as we're talking about and reconnect with the soil, reconnect with ourselves, reconnect with um, the great mother, the great mother stories and myths, the ceremonies. Um, indigenous peoples and lands who are alive right now. You know, there are ways and ceremonies that are very much alive in the world. Um, coming back around as a whole collective to re-honor that and, and remember and, and um, humble ourselves and be taught, you know, instead of thinking that we've got anything right. Because right now we're, <laughs> I feel like we're pretty far out of alignment. We've got a lot of things that we could really learn um, rather than thinking that we know what we're doing. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, I heard, you know, this, the separation, the domination over or power overview, the objectification, and then commodification, ownership over. And then I love that you're now moving into where I wanted to go last, which is the um, how to heal, you know, how to remember, reconnect, re-honor, as you said. So let's, let's go over some, let's call them invitations ourselves as you said you're you're you know taking your own medicine right now as you're going through this difficult time as you move and I know I I will appreciate these as well but for all of us listening all of us this evening let's go through some some invitations so the first one um you know working with the ego because I I too read a lot about the ego and I understand it's important to to, to notice right to be aware mindful <laughs> mindfulness of ego um but then what <laughs> how do we how do we work with ego um, in your view? What would be some invitations for folks to take this on as an invitation for their life? Yeah, thanks. Um, okay, so it, it depends on how much uh, experience we have with it. Some of us have practiced this a long time. Some of us are brand new to it. I think if you're brand new, just starting to listen, just sort of drop in and recognize that it exists at all, that there's more than one voice going on in our heads. And um, we can start to, the tarot teacher, Lindsay Mack, teaches this incredibly well. It's like, how do you tune in? She calls it like radio station one and radio station two. <laughs> and there's like, um, the voice of the ego is often maybe criticizing, sometimes yelling, um, directing, you know, there's all kinds of ways you can start to recognize its voice. And the voice of the soul is often guiding, inviting, sometimes whispering, um, 
And it's always guiding us to our highest good. And uh, the ego is often operating in fear. And so we've got this sort of thing going on. And the, and the soul will be guiding us towards love, right? Even, if, even when it takes courage. Um, and the courage often comes in having to face the ego. And because the collective ego is so strong right now, the collective ego, I think, is feeding the individual egos. And so to actually have the courage to be on the soul's team and like walk with one soul, um, you, you may have to really face down that ego. You know, <laughs> there may be a lot of work there. Um, so that's one just sort of getting a sense, starting to navigate, you know, realizing that this thing is here and getting a sense of when am I listening to my sort of intuition to my higher self? When it, When is the ego jumping in? Um, and then starting to invite oneself to be in one's higher self more often. And whenever that ego hops in or whenever, like sometimes we can go a whole day or some long period of time in the ego, like just operating straight from ego and whenever we sort of catch that you know just being gentle and forgiving of ourselves of um, just the fact that like that happens reinviting ourselves back around I put a really beautiful uh, self-forgiveness uh, exercise in there which I learned from a wonderful coach of mine um, which is uh, we can we can forgive at any time so we can always reset there's no there's no need to like double ego so what happens we'll like catch the ego and then be like ah oh, hard on ourselves because we were in the ego <laughs> You've got like double layers of ego. So just like always realizing that we can be gentle with ourselves and the self-forgiveness exercise is when we can identify a thought form that isn't serving. Like, for example, like I am not worthy, which is a really like, that's a top hit, you know, of most of our egos are running around saying I'm not worthy, which is also a root chakra um, trauma, like harm. Um, so I put my hands over my heart and I say, I forgive myself for believing in the misunderstanding that I am not worthy. Um, the truth is, and then I say the truth, the truth is I'm infinitely worthy. The truth is I am part of an infinite universe and, um, and I'm whole and I am valuable and worthy, you know, and that's, it's a really simple exercise, but it, it invites us into um, this ability to kind of just rewire, rewire every single time and, and gently so with ourselves without being hard on ourselves. Um, I think that's, yeah, that's my primary way of working with the ego, check in with it, find it, start to work with it, and then start to do that self-forgiveness exercise. Beautiful. Thank you. Thanks for making it practical. And the next one I'd love to ask is around the soil and climate change part. And I'd love to ask this for invitations uh, of the individual behavioral, um, but also of the systemic, right? So what can folks do personally in their own life, but let's not leave it there. Like what are the maybe larger movements or even uh, bills or policies or, you know, international laws that would be really supportive of a more healthy soil and a more stable climate and planet? Yeah. And um, so I think the, the simplest thing is start to compost, which may not seem that simple, depending on where you are. It could be very simple for you. You may already be doing it. Um, if my agent actually uh, learned in Manhattan that she could just go to where she already goes to her farmer's market and she could um, take her clippings, her food clippings and just drop them off. And so she was able to like keep them in her freezer. And this also interestingly, like takes food waste out of the trash. But in New York, that's a huge deal because it means you don't have and anywhere is a huge deal. It means you don't have rotting, rotting food in your trash. Right. So like taking that and then giving it back. However, that is, if it's a, if it's a compost bin in your yard, in your community, if you don't have access to a yard, um, there are community gardens you can take them to. There are farmer's markets and things. There's the, there are ways people are organizing these things. Just like do a little Googling, figure out how to compost one way or another. Um, also the food that we purchase 
this. Like, I mean, we've heard this one before, but um, even eating organic is better than not. But I would say if you can get to farmers markets, if you can talk to your farmers, if you can get to know them, if you can ask them how they're treating their soil and even better, just finding you can search now um, regenerative farms. So Regeneration International is a great organization. Kiss the Ground is a great organization. Um, in Detroit, there's a, a wonderful one called Detroit Dirt, um, where uh, they collect uh, actual organic matter and give it back. So um, those really basic steps, like just sort of paying attention to your food, where it's coming from. And then policy, a lot of it's local. So it's also like helping to get municipal compost going. You know, San Francisco has a great system. LA has been working on it. Um, New York has been working on it, but um, in many places, there's not one at all. If you're like a small homeowners association or something, you could start compost. Like there's a million different ways. Um, and there are, again, I would follow these organizations to get the ins and outs of the higher policy stuff because it changes all the time with um, administrations and things like that. So there's probably new stuff happening, but follow your policy, local, regional, state, and um and then get in, get into contact with these nonprofits that uh, if it's too much research for you, get into contact with them, but also just support them. You can donate to any of these organizations that are helping to heal the soil, um, you know, vote with your fork, whatever food that you're purchasing, whether it's restaurants or, or um, farmers markets or whatever it is. Thank you. And if I could add one as well, I'm thinking about folks who might think, oh, well, not everyone can buy organic because of the cost or spend the time to go to a farmer's market. So I would say on a systemic level, I would encourage folks to uh, get involved with movements to raise the minimum wage, to redistribute wealth, and to reduce the income gap in organizations or companies, because then more folks can live ethical and sustainable lives and not have to make that choice mm -hmm. um, for their own Absolutely. health and the health of the planet. So I just and want to bring in that economic systemic. Yeah. And I didn't mention growing your own food, you know, if that's at all, um, at all possible within your realm or sharing in community gardens that can also help and be economical. It can be um, more affordable um, and support. If you have extra support others that are doing those, doing those things. Thank you. So the last one is around the healing ourselves. So I really love how in your book, you, you reflect often on the outer and inner transition um, together and imbalancing. So, you know, as we've spoken about remembering, you know, what, what steps can folks take um, if they're feeling this disconnection, disembodiment, uh, dislocation, dismembering, right? What, what can, what can we do? And I, I also want to say that in your book, I appreciate the, I think you call them soul soil invitations at the end of each chapter. So I just really appreciate that you brought that to a practical level there, but yeah, what would be your invitation for folks listening for that healing of healing of themselves and working on those, um, those inner mental formations and thoughts and, and yeah deepening our own resilience so that we can do this work in the world. Right. Interestingly, one just popped to mind that doesn't always, but connecting to the wheel of the year is really important. I have found that I, I found that in my group work. And then most recently in this time of great transition, I'm realizing how easily it can go out the window and how grounding it actually is. Like it, it's easy when I was sort of a more stable that it was like, okay, I'm, I'm following the new moons and the full moons and I'm setting intentions on the new moon and I'm releasing things on the full moon. But now this is, it's an incredibly important practice and honoring the, um, the, like the equinoxes and things like that. We just had an equinox, but on a really simple personal individual level, like taking three breaths sounds really um, not that interesting. I feel like people have heard, you know, it's not like you don't know that, but actually doing it, like actually, you know, 
you can set a timer on your phone um, for once an hour or something like that and literally just stop and take three breaths. It's a tiny meditation and it's a moment to kind of notice the the ego running it, you know, running around for that. And just like a tiny pause, one minute meditation, if that, you know, um, I found that to be incredibly powerful and also easy to forget when things start to get really kind of wild and like haywire. And then literally taking your shoes off, putting them on, putting your feet on the earth um, is, seems like often people won't do this because it seems too simple, you know, but it's like, no, no, that's the thing. Like that's when, especially when it seems like you don't have time, like doing that thing and um, getting that literal grounding, that like earthing connection to mother earth. And then those exercises with the ego that we talked about before self-forgiveness, I find is one of the most powerful things that I've ever learned. And I only came across that exercise a few years ago. So I'd been doing other kind of personal work for a while. I found that that was like the missing link. Like that was the key um, that would help me really to just clear thought forms over time. And so when you're starting to work with unhealthy thought forms, things that are not serving and really letting them go and self-forgiving, that's when the work starts to really gain traction if you're a little more advanced and if that's like, if you've been doing it for a while. Thank you for all those, that's beautiful. I'm wondering if you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to share for folks listening. Thank you for all that you've yeah. shared with us today <laughs> from the from your personal story to the practical, to the very deep any closing thoughts or yeah. ways that you'd like to uh, so much. connect it all? Oh, I'm just, I'm so grateful for everybody out there and, um, and for being in this work and for caring about this topic when you saw it come up for being out there. And I just would say this, the greater message of reconnecting with the great mother in the sense of this like energy of this life force energy of everything that is and um just inviting us all into that journey wherever you may be on that journey that i feel like you can't go wrong <laughs> when you align with mother nature and you can't go wrong when you um align with the great mother and um listen to that sort of soul's voice that intuition voice and that will guide you wherever wherever you need to go on this journey it will always guide you exactly where you need to be thank you Erin. and i just want to again say the name of your book that we're celebrating today and that we heard so much from and about so the book grounded a fierce feminine guide to connecting with the soil and healing from the ground up so very exciting, definitely a good thing to check out. And I want to end with a quote from the book. There aren't enough pill-based medications in the world to handle what ails us. From our personal health to climate change, we've been treating the symptoms, not the systems. So hopefully you take with you some of the interconnectedness that Erin spoke about all the way from female sexual liberation and the divine feminine to healing our soil's health to addressing climate change uh, and all the systems that we're embedded in. And, and so I want to thank you, Erin. Thank you for, for your book. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you to all who are listening. And just want to say that as Erin reminded us in the meditation, you are worthy. You are part of the infinite universe. You are whole. And wherever you go, you are held in the web of life. So thank you everyone for joining us this evening. Thank you for listening to the CIIS Public Programs Podcast. Our talks and conversations are presented live in San Francisco, California. We recognize that our university's building in San Francisco occupies traditional unceded Ramaytush Ohlone lands. 
If you are interested in learning more about Native lands, languages, and territories, the website native-land.ca is a helpful resource for you to learn about and acknowledge the Indigenous land where you live. Podcast production is supervised by Kirsten Van Cleef at CIS Public Programs. Audio production is supervised by Lau Barrere at Desired Effect. The CIIS Public Programs team includes Kyle DiMedio, Alex Elliott, Emlyn Guinea, Jason MacArthur, and Patty Fort. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe wherever you find podcasts, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs. CIIS Public Programs commits to use our in-person and online platforms to uplift the stories and teachings of Black, Indigenous, and other people of color, those in the LGBTQIA community, and all of those whose lives emerge from the intersections of multiple identities. <laughs>